Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And uh, we're going to go a little bit into the week of review, and then we're going to go into Genesis, because that's kind of where it all began. And uh, we're going to try to find out uh, what it is that everybody seems to be missing. The truth is, is I can't tell you what the Kingdom of God is. I cannot show you what the kingdom of God is. I can talk about it. I can't even interpret the Bible for you because the Bible is not given to private interpretation. But I can bear witness to what I see. And I'm mostly, you know, on the radio, we're going to bear witness to what I see with words. But really bearing witness to what I am seeing has to come out to my actions not just through my words. And this is why Jesus made it so important that you have to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer only. Not what you say, but what you do. I mean, over and over again, he repeats that. But we have a modern Christian version of Christianity, which is not, of course, it's, it's totally an apostasy, and it doesn't say what you do. It says what you do doesn't matter because that's works, and you're not saved by works, you're saved by faith, and they define faith is what you think, or what you say you think even. They can even reduce faith down to what you say you think. <laughs> you know, you say the magic words. Did you say that you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? And then suddenly, somehow or other, that magically makes it so. But what you say, don't make it so, because all men are liars. So, there's a whole mind of Christ. You can call it attitude of Christ, a be attitude of Christ. Why be attitude rather than just attitude? Because you are what you say. And we know you are what you say because the fruits of what you do, what you do tells us what you believe. What you, I mean, a liar can tell me that they believe in Jesus Christ. But are you doing what Jesus Christ said to do? And you can hear it all the time in people's voices, you know, the they're kind of angry, they're kind of depressed, uh, they're kind of uh, arrogant. You know, they know, you don't know. Well, I know I don't know. I know God knows. And I pray that God moves through me and speaks through me, that I serve Him. But in order to get to that place, where I can do that, I have to say, I don't know. I don't know the knowledge between good and evil. I'm naked before the Lord. I know that. I need to live that. And you need to realize you're naked before the Lord. You don't know. You can't interpret the Bible. You can study till the cows come home. 
You can study till you're blue in the face. And you're not going to get it. The only way you're going to get it is God reveals it to you in your heart and your mind. And because God reveals it to you and you tell somebody else, they're not going to get it either. You can study, 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 and you will not show yourself approved. Because it doesn't say study to show thyself approved. It says be diligent to show thyself approved. They just changed it that one place. Everywhere else that word is translated study. But there they changed it. I mean, it's translated diligent. That place they translated it study to show thyself approved. And they turned you away from the truth. It's not what you say or what you study. It's what you do. Now, I'm not against studying. Studying is fine because studying is something you do. But they narrowed the statement by saying study to show thyself approved. Typical thing a theologian would do. Because theologians do a lot of studying. I mean, theologian has to do with somebody who studies about God. Theology. It's all about people who study, 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 study. And you get a degree in theology. But I can guarantee you that most of the people who have degrees in theology probably don't know the Lord. Because they're looking for the knowledge of good and evil. That's why they go to college. They want the knowledge. You don't get the knowledge of God by going to college. You get the knowledge of God by going to God. <laughs> That's pretty simple. That's not complicated. Yeah, you can go to college and, and every college there is and study everything in there is and you can be an absolute super genius and you don't know God. Because you don't find God in the university. Today, you don't find him anywhere near the university. <laughs> uh, he's not allowed in the university. They, they, I mean, most, what was the statistic? They, I heard the other day that like, uh, 92 or 96% of the employees in the university, you know, professors in the university, are Democrats, socialist Democrats. That's not a balanced education. <laughs> You're not going to get a balanced I mean, I know a number of people who sent their kids off to school and they came back gay. They just went to school. They weren't gay when they left, but they were gay when they came back. I mean, some of these people were devoutly religious, some of them were not. What happened? They didn't get the mind of Christ. They got another mind. They, they've lost their mind. They've become something other than what they were before they went. Now, a lot of people say, oh, no, no, you're born. No, bunk. That's, that's a bunch of hooey. But this isn't going to be a talk about the gay mindset. This is, I mean, the most people who come out of college are zombies. They've lost their mind. Their mind's been given over to another way of thinking. And that doesn't happen to everybody, but it happens to a lot. I mean, even if you just say you go work for the government, it's going to start affecting your mind. If you go work for the government. Now you might survive anyway. With God's grace. I knew a guy who worked for the government. I was just telling this story the other day. And he worked for the government for 20 years. And then he, he bought some equipment. And went to work for himself. 
him and his wife worked on with this equipment earning money and they had their own private business and then they got better equipment and better equipment and you know they were pretty successful they ended up buying like a 50-foot schooner and going down and retiring in the caribbean or at least down in the baja area of uh, the pacific and uh but they worked real hard to get to that point and when I was I was working with them one day, and uh, we were, you know, moving big bags and and running this equipment, and and uh, I asked him, uh, you know, where where did he work? You know, how, how long has he been doing this? Oh, he'd been doing it so long. And I said, well, where'd you work before that? And he said he worked for the government for twenty years. And I just stopped and I stared at him, and I and he noticed that I was kind of pondering what he said and I said how did you survive that and because uh, I knew what kind of a mindset this guy had I liked this guy I was drawn to this guy I went and worked for him for free on two or three of his the sites where he was working with his heavy equipment and I just helped him out and it it really paid off because I suddenly needed him and uh, normally you'd have to wait months and months to get that kind of equipment to come to your place but I got him to come there in a matter of days <laughs> just because I had helped him out and I just chose to help him out I didn't know why I was helping him out I wasn't asking for any money just helped him out and it ended up he came and helped me out when I really needed it I had no idea I would need that kind of equipment I shouldn't have needed it but somebody did something just terrible and we needed that equipment and uh and we had somebody who could bring it and uh did it almost the next day within that very week and uh we we got accomplished what I had seen other people take months and months and months to accomplish within the this 28 day window that we had to do it in and uh but anyway when I I asked him how he survived, him and his wife, they there was a slight pause at when I asked that question, and then they both just broke out laughing because they knew what I was talking about. Because you you surround yourself with a certain kind of thinking and a certain kind of spirit, and because that's where your thinking comes from, is from the spirit that dwelleth in you, and. Uh, and it begins to change you. And he knew it was changing him. And when he went back and started working for himself in the private industry, he it was a huge burden taken off of him because he wasn't always pressed with with that thinking. Another burden came on to him, and the burden of making a living in the real world where you had to make ends meet and you had to, you know, uh, you know, make things work because you weren't working for the government. You were working. And actually, to tell you the truth, working for major corporations, sometimes you have the same problem, this corporate thinking. You'll pick up the mind of the corporation itself and begin to think like the corporation thinks. And uh, the mindset of the people uh, and... uh, uh, Spies sometimes have a tremendous difficulty with this. And it, there's many subtle ways. We've talked about, you know, Stockholm Syndrome and things like that, how 
how somebody can be kidnapped and then suddenly become part of the kidnappers, like the kidnappers. Their loyalties shift over. Their morality shifts over. Uh, we see it with the people who grow up. I'm not going to pick on Jehovah Witnesses, but I happen to see it with certain Jehovah Witness families. But there are other churches and denominations, some Catholic families the same way, where they're very strict and restricting and controlling and trying to steer their children's thinking in a particular way and dominate their thinking and their faith and their belief. And uh, suddenly when the kid gets older, wow, boom. They go crazy. They go. They they just go off the deep end in the opposite direction. Now, that being said, I'm not saying that parents shouldn't be guiding their children, but they should be raising their children to be adults. Not you do not oppress your children into faith. And this is kind of what the theme of this program and the next one will be about is is. How do we teach our children to walk with the Lord if we ourselves are not walking with the Lord? How do we give our children the mind of Christ if we ourselves do not have the mind of Christ? If we are angry and oppressive and and uh, judgmental and uh, impatient and all the things that Christ was not, how in the world are we going to pass the character of Christ on to our children? And the truth is, you can't make your children think like Christ. You can make it uncomfortable for them not to think like Christ. But that's not by punishment, but by awakening their conscience, their Christ-given conscience. Because you have a social conscience. You can construct a social conscience where you badger and, and yell and brutalize uh, somebody uh, oppressively being a father of the family, you know, demanding obedience, demanding your wife submit to your authority. And all these kinds of uh, things that a lot of people, you know, a wife should submit to the authority of her husband, but the authority of her husband comes from whom? From himself? Does he have the knowledge of good and evil? No, it comes from Christ. And Christ said, that Paul even said, Husbands, love thy wife as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He sacrificed himself. He did not oppress the apostles. He sacrificed. He served the apostles. He got down and washed their feet. You have to do that with a person's heart in order to win their hearts. And you're not winning their hearts to you. You're winning their hearts to Christ. You have to be Christ. You have to love like Christ. Sacrifice like Christ. Stop being the arrogant so-whatever that you are and be like Christ. But as I said, we were, we were going to go on to Genesis and talk a little bit about Genesis. But I also said that we were going to do a little bit of review. And uh, I've I t- t- been we have a new website, and it's preparing you uh, on Facebook. So if you want to join our preparing you Facebook, and we have a preparing you website. If you want to join the Preparing You Facebook, you can go there and sign on. And Preparing You, and I've always said Preparing 
you know, for disaster, the best way to prepare for the disaster for yourself is to prepare for the disasters that are coming for everybody else. And the best way to prepare everybody else is to teach them what it is that they need to know about preparing according to the Spirit of Christ. You have to teach according to the Spirit of Christ. And so we've created a wiki site, and there's people putting stuff up there about home education and and home health and uh, diet and uh, all that. But we also have information about the early church and how the early church operated in relationship to today and how the laws work. How Abraham, Moses, and Jesus Christ, John the Baptist, freed millions of people from the bondage of the world. But that bondage of the world, you know, the bondage of governments that we see going on today where, you know, 50% of everything you make has to go to the government. So in in essence, 50% of every day you work as a slave. You, you, You know, when a slave worked, he had... So many hours a day they had to work, and then he could actually do things. And slaves did this; they they did things on their own time, and they could sell it. You know, they could get raw materials. They could, you know, like Jim and Huck Finn. I mean, he bought part of a cow, and he milked that cow, and he got the feed for the cow, and then he got to sell the milk, and he got to keep the money. And there were other many slaves who actually bought their own freedom. They bought themselves from their master with the extra work that they did. That was a doable thing. That happened. That's, there was lots and lots of free men, black men in America before the uh, Civil War. And they had bought their own freedom. Or they had been set free because of the tremendous service that they had rendered to families. I mean, there's only a few percentage of people own slaves in all of America. Very few people actually owned slaves. Even in the South, there were there were many people, many many people who didn't own slaves. And most slaves were lived in a family where they actually ate at the table with the family. They slept in the same house. Uh, and that family maybe only had one slave or two. And they, in those days, you had to remember, they, they didn't go, go down and, you know, get uh, lean cuisine at the grocery store. They had to cut the firewood that was going to cook dinner, and they had to kill the animal and butcher it out and hang it up, no refrigeration. They had to plant the gardens and grow the food and preserve the food till the next year. There was a lot of work involved to just survive. And whether you were a slave in a household or just lived in the household, it was a lot to survive. Yeah, you had to work for those people, but you were everybody was just trying to survive. It wasn't all rich plantation owners that owned blacks. Most of the blacks that were shipped from Africa didn't even come to the United States. They were down there in the Caribbean. South America and all kinds of other places. But many of the blacks who came here, like I said, eventually earned their freedom, bought their own freedom, or were bought and set free, and and had families and homes and education and everything else. Uh, anyway, 
and I want this to be a show about slavery, but the fact is we're all in slavery now. We've all gone back to the bondage of Egypt in every nation, in every country. And we don't even know it because we have a church saying that Christ has come to set us free, but that very church is not telling you the whole gospel and has delivered you back into the bondage of Egypt worse than it was in the days of Egypt. So bad now that the major cause of abortion in the land is economic. Why? Because you're slaves. You don't get to keep the fruits of your labor. And there was a survey recently, like 45% of the people that are you know, coming out of schools uh, would vote for a socialist government. They want a socialist government in the United States. Socialism used to be a bad thing. Democracy used to be a bad thing in America. I mean, we've had whole shows on that showing you. The U.S. government published books saying democracy was an evil form of government. At the beginning of this last century, but by the middle of this last century, they were publishing the same book, and they had reversed their idea on that. Everybody's looking at the election that is going on in America today, and maybe one of the last ones to take a good look at it. <laughs> but it is the most bizarre election I have seen since Adlai Stevenson and Eisenhower ran. and I, So that shows you how many elections I have seen. And the kids that are coming out of college and are in college today don't have a clue. Somebody with a political science major was being shown pictures. A lot of people were in the college were shown these pictures of everybody from uh, Biden to to uh, Ronald Reagan, and they could not recognize any of these men. In the day of TV and and magazines and everything, they couldn't even recognize the picture. They didn't know who they were. And they they think they're they they don't they don't know who JFK was they 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 don't even really know anything hardly about his assassination you know they know uh, movie stars and who they're married to but they don't know who their leaders were for the last twenty thirty years it's just astounding they know nothing about history they don't know who we fought in the Civil War many of them don't even know who we fought in the Revolutionary War. And they've already graduated from high school, and they've already entered into college, and they don't know these basic things of history. What have they been doing? They've been going through a process of changing their minds, changing the way they think. It was over 20% of the people thought they would vote for a communist government in the United States. And But when you ask them what the definition of communism is, and and socialism is, they really don't know. They don't even know. And that's one of the things that I've been seeing on Facebook. And if we put together a team that are beginning to change to the mind of Christ, have the knowledge to point out. I mean, it doesn't guarantee they'll see it. I'll give you an example. Somebody on one of the Facebook deals, these are private groups, and so they're actually debate groups, and so you can debate different things. And uh, and he said, uh, Moshe, Moses, never, this guy is a Hebrew scholar, never said love your neighbor as yourself. He's, that's, I'm quoting him saying that. But the truth is, he did say it in Leviticus 19.18. Love thy neighbor as thyself. 
And this is a biblical scholar, Jewish biblical scholar. I even, I even posted it to him in Hebrew so he could actually read the original Hebrew. He didn't know. And he didn't admit it. We'll take a look at this when we come back. Be ready. Then. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Uh, we're looking at uh, uh, some of the mindset of the people and how they get to that mindset, and we'll get into that deeper when we get into Genesis. But uh, I, I gave the example of this fellow who thought himself to be a Hebrew Bible scholar, or at least a Torah scholar. He's Jewish. And because he doesn't seem to like Jesus at all, but uh, and said some things about him that he doesn't like, and I understand that. I mean, the Pharisees didn't like Jesus, and uh, they said they had no king but Caesar. And most people don't realize that the Pharisees were no longer Jews; they were now the synagogue of Satan. Uh, when they said they had no king but Caesar, when they chose to reject God and have Caesar as their god, because Caesar was a god. Just like Obama's a god. They, they, they are gods. And, and it, actually, even the U.S. government says that the picture in the Capitol Dome of the United States federal government, the, the government says this, I'm just quoting them, raises Washington to the rank of God. And the office that Washington held was the office of president and what you would call in Latin or Greek anyway, Apotheos, appointer of gods. Why? Because he appointed all the judges throughout the empire. And the word you see, God, in the Bible, both Old and New Testament, was used to address judges in courts of law. Both Elohim and Theos were used as the title of judges and magistrates in a court of law. And it even says that in your concordances, you know, if you look it up in Strong's Concordance or in Thayer's, uh, specifically in Thayer's, it says that this is a term used for magistrates because they're the ruling judge in that courtroom and they act like gods. You know, if, if they point at you, men will run out and taser you and throw you to the ground <laughs> because those, those men serve those gods. It's small g gods, but it's gods nonetheless. And that's why Paul says there are gods many. And and this is part of our mindset that we don't understand, that we think that, oh, pagan gods are just stone gods. No, they're men. The stones, the statues that they make represent their authority, but they're men. Because you you're told not to make covenants with them. You don't make covenants with a stone god. You make it with a living god. <laughs> A ruling judge who has the right to rule over you and tell you what you can do and what you can't do and what is good and what is evil. They get to tell, they get to decide for you what is good and what is evil. And that will take us back to Genesis where Adam and Eve were going to eat of the tree, not apple tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In other words, they were going to decide for themselves what was good and evil? In order to do that, 
they had to go out of the presence of God. In other words, they had to stop hear, walking with God, hearing the voice of God in their heart and in their mind. They had to cut themselves off from God and actually hide from God. And that's what you've been doing ever since. Your parents did it. You do it. Your grandparents did it. Your parents did it. You do it. Your great 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 grandparents did it and all the way down and you do it to one degree or another. And the more you do it, the more you become like Cain, Nimrod, Pharaoh, Caesar. The less you do it, the more you become like Abraham, Moses, John the Baptist, and hopefully Jesus Christ. In order to make that shift, you have to change your mind. You can't change your mind with your own knowledge because that's the knowledge of good and evil. You have to allow God to change your mind. Repentance is submission to the will of God so that the God of heaven, who thinks differently than the gods of the earth, can change the thinking in your mind. That's why I say, I can't tell you what the kingdom of God is in a way that you will see it. I can talk about it in a way that you might see it, but you will only see it if you repent and think a different way. And you can't even repent of your own power because repentance isn't being sorry. Repentance is thinking a different way. How do you get your mind to think a different way? You have not yet gone. You have to allow God to change it. In order for God to change it, you have to admit you can't fix it. You can't change it of yourself. You cannot change the way your brain is supposed to be thinking, which is the way that Christ thought and the way that the apostles thought. You need the Holy Spirit to change your thinking. I do not bestow the Holy Spirit upon people. The Holy Spirit listeth where it will, but it will list into your heart if you submit yourself to the will of Christ. What does that mean? Well, I can tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean trying to lord it over others and try to dictate to others what your personal interpretation of the Bible is. I'm just sharing what I see. So in this debate with this guy on Facebook in this private group, he was, you know, I had said that Abraham and uh, Moses and Jesus Christ were all thinking alike. Now, obviously, Abraham had need of repentance at times in his life. He screwed up. At one time, he was called Abram. He wasn't even called Abraham. Actually, one time, he was called Brahmana. <laughs> and then he, he left that jurisdiction and he became Abram. And then he learned more and he became Abraham. And they added these extra letters like uh, hey and mem to his name because he began to understand the mind of God and began to act 
as he understood the mind of God, and that meant that his, as his actions flowed through him, they added a mem. They added a hey when he uh, uh, began to understand more about the mind of God. But this was all a process with Abraham. He had to turn around from what he was in the early part of his life. And his own father began to see some of this. And his own father took possession of the family, which means he didn't have possession before because he lived in a city-state. And the city-state possessed the family, the people. You belong to this city-state. What city-state do you belong to kind of thing, you know? But he took possession and took his family out of the city-state of Ur. But he went and started the city-state of Haran. Abraham left Haran, like Moses left Egypt, and went out into the wilderness and began to learn what it meant to think a different way. Being out where you have to work and and uh, get things done, and uh, you're in... You're down where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. This can be a learning experience and to teach your mind to think a different way. When you get into the comfortable niche of, you know, I, I've worked for myself and, you know, as a contractor and had to, you know, you had to deal with customers, you had to deal with shippers, you had to deal with employees, you had to deal with time elements and and mistakes, and you still had to make it work or provide this service. And so you worked all day with hammer and nails and all night with paperwork and pencils and, <laughs> and what have you, and it was a lot of time and the stress, and there's you had to think about what am I going to do tomorrow, and what am I going to have the people do tomorrow, and what, am I, what about the materials, are they going to be there? And so he had all this kind of stress, but uh, you became like, you know, you had all the strings of a harp to play. <laughs> you had to, had to have them all tuned right to, to make things work. It was challenging. Stressful, but challenging. And then for a short time, I went to work for my brother. We changed things around, and I actually just... He, he had a contract business, so I just worked for him for a, a while. And I thought that was cool. You know, I mean, I got up in the morning, had breakfast, put on, grabbed my tool belt, went out, got in the truck, and went to work. When I was done, I got out of the truck, hung my tool belt up, and I was done. I didn't have to worry about tomorrow. Somebody else was worrying about tomorrow. I was just an employee. I'm just going to work for him. And the next day, then I start worrying about that. And so I, it was a huge release. But you can't take a vacation forever. So anyway, then I ended up back working for myself under even more strenuous conditions. <laughs> and that was good. It taught me a lot of stuff. And it's the same thing when I go into these debates with people on Facebook or if we had call-ins or, or what have you, then that would be challenging. But this guy thought he knew already. He didn't realize that he was naked and he was depending on on his private interpretation of the Bible because he was throwing out, oh, this, this, and this. No, Mo, Moshe was never an anarchist, that he was the, the, all this. And, uh, of course, he didn't believe in Jesus at all. And 
you know, of course, us who do, we know that Jesus and Moses and Elijah appeared together, and so they evidently were in an agreement. And Jesus even quoting many times Moses. I mean, when he said, love thy neighbor as thyself, he's quoting Moses. And this guy said, Moses never said that. Never said, love thy neighbor as thyself. He's a scholar of Moses. And so I, I just sent him that, you know, Leviticus 19.18 in Hebrew. Because he said he read Hebrew. And evidently he either didn't or didn't want to see it. But so then I ended up, because he denied it again. And so I sent it in the English. In Leviticus 19.18. But thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord thy God. Moses is saying that in his writings in Leviticus, that this is what God has said. And of course, that's what Jesus said. And we hear Jesus is quoting Moses. He's also quoting God because Moses is quoting God. They are in agreement. He didn't codify the laws. We say codify. Do you, did you ever look at the word statute? Do you know what the word statute means? Do you even know what the word commandment means? You have an assumption the commandment meant law. Now, if these are laws. Why didn't he list, if you do this, this is the penalty. If you do this, this is the penalty, and all this. Now, now Moses kind of did in in the, what we call the statutes of Moses. But it prejudices our thinking when we say statutes of Moses. We begin to think like the world, like Hammurabi, who codified the law, or Justinian, who codified the law. Or the United States federal government who codifies the law. Not the Ten Commandments, but they codify the laws of Congress. Because Congress are your conscripted fathers. And the president is the apotheos of the United States. The appointer of gods. And your judges are God's many. Throughout the empire of the United States. And that's just the way it is. Now people say, oh no, you're just, you're just twisting words. No, that's the meaning of words. Just like all these socialists out there, they don't know the meaning of the word socialist. They, they and they're all against capitalism, and they don't. You know, capitalism makes men. Blah, 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 and it doesn't. Capitalism is just the private ownership of property. It means that when you, and what what's the one property you might own? You know, the primary property that you might own is your own labor. So you know, if if somebody gave you a couple acres of ground, and they said, "Well, here." Or maybe you earned it. You purchased it from somebody. You you know, you owned your labor, so you earned you know like uh, the value of ten acres. Well, you can carry ten acres around with you, so you get highly processed dirt called gold or silver, and you put that in your pocket. And you go somewhere and you buy the right of land from somebody who owns that land with substance which represents the labor that you worked to earn for, you know, whatever it was, five years, seven years. And they give you that land. Now you go and you plant trees and you raise them up and cultivate them and protect them from the deer and the mice and what have you and and water them and, and trim them and they produce fruit. Whose fruit is it? It's yours. Because that fruit is a product of your labor. You have dominion over that fruit. And who, who gets it? You can share it or you can hoard it. The power of governing that tree is in your hands. 
because you owned your labor. If you're a slave, you don't own your labor. <laughs> you may own a portion of your labor, but a lot of your labor you don't own. You have to work for the master. And you're all slaves today. You have to work for the master. And and he has many taskmasters who will employ you at working for them, and they'll take a portion of your labor that you work and earn a value for, but they won't send the value to you. They'll send it to your masters who own that labor. You're back in the bondage of Egypt. Moses was showing you how to be out of that bondage of Egypt. He led them out. Now, he didn't come in and say, hey, you know, fill out this paperwork and denounce the Pharaoh and say the Pharaoh has no power over you. Now, Moses was the heir to the throne of Pharaoh. He was the adopted son of the daughter of Pharaoh. The Pharaoh who ended up sitting on the throne was not the son of the Pharaoh. He was someone else entirely. No bloodline to the Pharaoh. And his children had no bloodline to the Pharaoh because he was he had children by a concubine. Now, we can explain all that later, but the point is, is that Moses, when he said, let my people go, he owned the people. Like the king of Sodom owned the people. The king of Sodom lost the people through combat. Moses got them back. So Moses had a right to own the people, but he chose not to own the people. You're about to see world war in in on this planet. You know, I, I don't, I'm not predicting it within the next few days, <laughs> but it's coming inevitably. Economic collapse, war everywhere, uh, and it's because you've you've been sowing the wind, and you're going to reap the whirlwind. And the United States is going to suffer probably greater than any other nation. And deserves to. You know, there'll, there'll come a point where half of the nation will be gone. Dead. Easy. It's, it's just coming. This is inevitable. I'm not trying to scare you. Just You can just count on it. Or you, you can't change the course of that history. You can just change what side of that history you will be on. You know, the zombie apocalypse is upon you already. And they all have the power to vote. <laughs> so... You're in trouble, <laughs> and they they move fast. Uh, so you know they used to move slow, but they've got more like uh, uh, the Z zombies. <laughs> uh, they they're moving faster and faster. But you know, so I showed this guy that Moses did say that. Moses was an anarchist, that he didn't codify the laws like Hammurabi. He tried to explain the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments, as Jesus explained, the whole Ten Commandments hinge on one thing, or actually two things, if you want. Loving God, which is the character of God, that mind of God, that way of thinking that God has, which is including mercy and forgiveness. And liberty. God gives you choice. You give your children choice. They have to learn to make the choice themselves. If you keep the choice from them all the time, just make them line up all the time. When they finally are released, they go crazy. So you have to walk with them 
humbly with your children. Be not a buddy. You're a buddy to Christ. You're a brother to Christ. You have to rebuke them when they're wrong. But you want to teach them how to make the right choice and decision. You want to give them that independence that God gave you. You have to do it a little at a time. You can't do it when they're five years old or when they're ten years old. You give them some leeway at those times to make choices over things like their toys. But you also teach them consequences with love. And God is teaching you with love. You wanted to have a ruler to exercise authority and set things right and make things secure and fight your battles for you. And you got it. And you got what he said you would get. A ruler who takes and takes and takes and takes and takes and takes. And now you whine about that and you want to fill out some sort of paperwork and make all that go away. That's nonsense. You haven't changed to the mind of Christ yet. You're still only helping out those who can help you, you know, like your employees. That ain't going to cut it. That's not the mind of Christ. Christ didn't come just to help out the apostles. He came that everybody might be saved. That's why you have to cast your bread upon the waters. Let go of it. If you just want to get free so you can have all your stuff, and then then you might think about giving more to charity. You've missed it. You're not thinking with the mind of Christ. You're still thinking with the mind of the world. You're not going to be saved. You're going to find yourself out there on the shores of the Red Sea with no pillar of fire between you and the armies of the world who want to take possession of the world. And I can tell you, that I mean, it's like facing Moldor. I mean, there's some pretty ugly monsters out there. You need the power of God. You know, even in Exodus twenty two twenty one, he said, Thou shalt neither vex a stranger nor oppress him. For ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. Now, the modern Jew, they think that they can do that. They can oppress anybody who's not a Jew. I mean, the, the Talmudic Jews. You know, because they're not one of us, so we get to oppress them, we get to charge them interest and usury and all these kinds of things. But you're not supposed to be doing that. They don't know that. But they don't have the mind of God either. They have the mind of Pharisees. Most Christians have the mind of Pharisees. So anyway, uh, he he went on to say uh, some other crazy, foolish things. Uh, 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 he said that, that the people's sin was not requesting a king, but rejecting their judge. Uh, and I said, you missed it. You missed it entirely. And just in the Torah, you missed it. I said... Uh, uh, I, I told him, showed him in Samuel. I had said just the opposite, Samuel 8. And the Lord said unto Samuel, hearken unto the voice of the people. You know, they were trying to elect a president or a king or whatever, a prime minister. Hearken unto the voice of the people and all they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, Samuel, the judge, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. So it was. it's actually the absolute opposite of what this guy was saying. And I was just showing him. He's imprisoned by his perception of the Bible. 
because he has privately interpreted it through his study, but he doesn't yet have the mind of God. He doesn't see. So we can't get to the next level of his delusion. The Levite, he thinks that the Levites had the right to force the contributions of the people. Because by the time the Pharisees and Sadducees were taking over, they did. But that's because they had strayed from the ways of God and the thinking of God. So you got out of the thinking of God and then what you do becomes the opposite. But then you have to study and study and study in order to come up with some sort of goofy theology that says it's okay to take from my neighbor and oppress my neighbor as well as the stranger. We're supposed to be a blessing on everybody, and instead, people in the government that the Americans have elected are bombing countries all... I mean, we've killed how many millions of people through our bombs and our sanctions? The United States. I say our, your. How many? Millions and millions in this century, in this last century alone, in this century, probably killed over a million, and we're only, what, 16, 17 years in. (laughs) That's amazing. Anyway, stay tuned, Keys of the Kingdom, because we're going to get in deeper. We'll be right back. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to continue talking about the kingdom of God. This uh, this individual on the uh, internet who thought he already knows, uh, it, it doesn't need to come to me to find the truth. He needs to admit that he doesn't already know to God. But he has, in his vanity, studied and studied and studied, and therefore he thinks he knows Hebrew. And one one of the I know a lot of people who are studying Hebrew, and it's just a it, it's a very dangerous idea because. I mean, almost everything is dangerous these days, but that's a dangerous idea because there's not very many good sources in which to study Hebrew uh, because most of the people who are teaching you Hebrew uh, are dependent upon an interpretation of the language. You have to remember, when they went into the Babylonian captivity, they lost the ability to speak Hebrew. They had to relearn Hebrew when they were coming back out and go back to the scriptures and try to figure out what the scriptures said. They had copies of them, but they didn't know how to read them. So, you know, generally the people didn't know how, so they had to relearn Hebrew. Now, uh, they talk about building the 
tabernacle back again, and uh, there was there's a scene in the Bible where the old men wept when they did this, and I had uh, preachers tell me that they wept for joy. But no, they did not weep for joy. They wept because they saw the same patterns being put back into the tabernacle based on this misinterpretation of Hebrew, which is very easy to do. And some of the signs that you're missing the message of God, which is a spiritual message, is that you begin to unmoor what the words say in Hebrew from the principles of what they say. And you you see people doing this by, oh, we have to keep the Sabbath, and you have to find the Sabbath by this special calendar. And sometimes they count the seven days, and sometimes they count the moons. And, you know, there's a whole debate over exactly how we do this so that we can keep that seventh day. And they think keeping the seventh day is resting on the seventh day, but then that's when they have their church service, so everybody's got to go to church or meeting or whatever. And they've completely missed it. The Sabbath is really simple. You work first, and then you earn the rest that that work gives you. You know, you you do not eat sour grapes, another metaphor that they use, and turn your teeth on edge. If the fathers eat sour grapes, the children's teeth will be turned on edge. What are sour grapes? They eat the grape before they're ripe. They have to let things go through the process which includes six days' work, and then you rest. And that's a principle. He's not talking about a magic day, and if you do this magic day way thing, then I will bless you. No, he's talking about a principle. If you follow this principle, certain things will result. And if we were doing that in America, we would not be trillions of dollars in debt. But we haven't been keeping the Sabbath, Oh, we got lots of people worshiping on the seventh day, the Sabbath day, and someone counting this calendar and all this stuff. But that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about a principle. And I know all kinds of people who are Seventh-day Adventists and everything else, and they're in debt up to their ears. And they're they're certainly a part of a nation. They send their kids to public school, uh, all paid for by borrowing money. Uh, so much so now that you have student loans where kids go to college and they come out of college owing $50,000, $100,000. Why? Because they didn't keep the Sabbath. And because they didn't keep the Sabbath, the cost of education has skyrocketed. Why? Because the colleges can now charge this because you can go get student loans. And they, they don't see the connection. All those I've seen some economists saying, well, the reason education is so high. Even even that uh, movie star who played God <laughs> in the movies, uh, black fellow, free, uh, Morgan Freeman, I think it is, was saying uh, that. I, I believe that was him who was saying it. it was that the reason education is so high is because of student loans. Uh, I actually may have the wrong person there. But anyway, it doesn't matter. The principle is still the same, whoever said it. Everybody should be saying it, and you should be getting your kids to stop borrowing money to go to college. As a matter of fact, most of them don't even have to go to college. Uh, And it doesn't do them any good to go to college. And if they had been home-taught, they would probably know more than they knew when they got out of high school. Because home-taught kids get 30% higher scores than kids who go to public school. And people say... Oh, yeah, but that's because those are special kids and they're all taught by uh, 
their parents who are all college educated. No, no, most of the kids that do really well are taught by parents who did not have college education. And those statistics include parents that believe in unschooling their kids and have no home curriculum whatsoever or very little home curriculum. And still, with those kids mixed in, they still score higher. If if parents were actually to teach their kids and had home curriculum, which they should have, because that's what the Bible says to teach your children, uh, and they taught them in a loving home environment, homeschoolers would probably score double that of public school kids. Certainly, in, in when they, now they followed up homeschool kids years later, they find that the homeschool kids are. Uh, more socially adapted, uh, give more back to the community, often have their own businesses, they stay married. Uh, I mean, the, the benefits just go on and on and on and on and on. It's, it's, it's stunning. People don't realize that when you go over to those other environments and those other practices, covetous practices, because public school is a covetous practice. You you want your neighbor to pay for your child's education. I know people who are public school teachers homeschool their kids. So even if you work for the school, you could homeschool your kids, and you should. But people don't get that. They, they're worried about judgment of other people, and they're worried about this, that, and the other thing, and they need to stop. And stop fearing and to stop living in fear and start trusting God because that's going to change your thinking and it's going to change your thinking a certain way going the other way is going to change your thinking now what is the way of Christ how do you get closer to God so that you think more like God sacrifice that's why the word sacrifice Corbin comes from the word to draw near because God gave up his power over you so that you could have choice. Now, he has some power over you, and he has power over the universe, but he has entrusted you with this planet to dress it and keep it. And he's given you the power to make mistakes. He's given you the right to choose to do it wrong, but not with impunity. You're going to suffer. He says, yeah, you want to have a government that exercises authority one over the other? We'll give it to you. Let you have that. But let you know he's going to end up taking and taking and taking and taking and taking. And then people say, oh, my gosh, he's taking and taking and taking and I want out. But they don't want to change back to what they should have been to begin with. They don't want to become the diligent who exercise love and mercy and sacrifice. They just want to get out of the system. Well, it isn't going to work because you still got the system in you. And you're not going to have the grace of God because you're not trying to save others. You know, what grace have you if you only love those who love you? You have to love people you don't even know. People on the other side of the world, you have to love them. You have to love people in the next community, in, in, the, in the business of your competitors. You have to love all these people. And that means you have to put that love into action. 
And that means you have to cast your bread upon the waters. You have to give until you feel it hurt. But you should give wisely because otherwise you're not going to get the mind of Christ either. It's a lazy man who gives unwisely. You know, the $20 out the car door. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's not Christ-like. Christ didn't just heal everybody. He says, no, I'm not here to heal you. And he used to always ask them, do you believe? So if they said, no, I don't believe, I just want you to heal me, do you think he was going to heal them? (laughs) No. No, he's not going to heal them. If you want help from the church, you should go to the church and ask for that help. You don't just just send us a bill. You ask for that help. That's the instructions, isn't it? Ask and you shall receive. And you should take that instructions to your congregation. Somebody in your congregation wants help. Have they asked? What what have they asked? Just help? No. How much help do you want? You know, I mean, when I go to, I remember my grandson when we were taking in groceries. I mean, he was like two years old. And he wanted to help. Well, if you gave him a whole bag, he, he's not going to make it. <laughs> Carrying in the groceries. So I would look in, you know, the paper towels. I'd take out the paper towels and hand him the paper towels, and he would carry the paper towels in, you know. And then somebody else would carry in the bag of jars <laughs> or whatever. And uh, he'd come back, and he want more, and I'd give him another thing. And the heavier that, you know, I'd give him a loaf of bread at first and stuff. And uh, the heavier the item got, the more he laughed. It was fun to help out, to take stuff in. <laughs> but I couldn't, I couldn't give him too much. I had to give him a little bit. You got to start somewhere. So gather together and start helping people. Don't I'm not only going to help people who think exactly like me. Well, if God only helped people who thinks exactly like Him, nobody would get any help. God doesn't just help the saints. He helps the sinners. That's how sinners become saints. You have to care about others, even the stranger in your midst. So every congregation should be a a hotbed of charity. Out there working daily for others. You know, the guy who wants to go be the vagabond preacher of the kingdom and wander about and not produce anything, I don't think he's really following Christ. Christ really produced stuff, you know. I mean, he didn't even start his ministry until he was in his 30s. What was he doing all that time before? He was probably working. Peter was working. The other guys, they were all working. And when they started their ministry, they worked at their ministry. And that's what people have to do, is work at their ministry. They have to work at serving one another. So anyway, that guy wasn't going to see it. He wouldn't even see the obvious mistakes. I wasn't debating him about all the stuff. I just showing him, like, you don't really know what the Bible says. You don't really know what Moses said. Because he said, Moses didn't say, love thy neighbor as thyself. And I showed him, Moses said, love thy neighbor as thyself. 
Jesus is just quoting Moses. And he didn't see that. And even when I showed it to him, he did not acknowledge, oh my gosh, I was wrong. He can't do that. That requires humility. You don't have humility, you're not going to figure this out because almost every time you turn around, you're going to find out you were wrong. I find out I was wrong about things all the time. And I'm looking to find out where I'm wrong. I'd love to hear from people if they think I'm wrong. And I'll show them, you know, if they're they're right and I am wrong, I hope I have the humility to admit it. Very important. That you have to be willing to admit that you're wrong in order to learn what is right. Anyway, I said we'd get into Genesis, and uh, here we are at Genesis chapter 3. And I'll start at verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle. Ah, subtle. That's a that's an interesting word. Well, we'll take a look at that. Then any beast of the field. So the serpent was a beast of the field. Which, actually, a beast of the field really just means living thing. It's not the creepy crawly things. It's the beast of the field. The serpent was one of the beasts of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Okay, this tree of the in the midst of the garden and the garden, these are metaphors, guys. Pay attention to these metaphors. Because they're trying to tell you something. You know, even this word we see is serpent. You know, it's it's always translated serpent when we see it in the Bible. And, you know, it's uh, uh, Nim, uh, I was trying to think of what it is, Chet, uh, Shem. Uh, so it's a three-letter word. And it uh, is always translated, uh, you know, as far as the strong accordance word is always translated serpent. But the same letters are also translated brass nine times. But it's given a different Strong's number. And someone has come along later and put a different accent in the, you know, the dot, dots and tittles. But it really is very much exactly the same word. But it's also translated brass. Now the brass was the more subtle. <laughs> Uh, the same word is also translated enchantment, but given a different stroke. <laughs> Excuse me, uh, given a different uh, Strong's number, but in translated enchantment. Enchantment. Now that's an interesting word. Divination. Enchantment. Uh, the same word, same letters, is also uh, given another Strong's number and translated enchantment a couple of times, four times. 
divine twice, enchanter once, indeed once, certainly once, learn by experience once, diligently observe in another place. Same word that means serpent also means diligently observe. That's that's the main. The practice of divination, divine, observe, signs, learn by experience, diligently observe. These are all part of what they say is the meaning of the word that we see as serpent. Amazing. Don't you think that's kind of amazing? I think that's kind of amazing. Uh, we could go into the meaning of all those words, uh, all the letters of that word and how they come up that that is also the serpent. But that serpent is subtle, it says, uh, which is sometimes translated prudent, sometimes translated crafty. You know, and we're supposed to be as wise as the serpent. Maybe we could say clever as the serpent, but as harmless as doves. And uh, so anyway, the point is that these words all have meanings and they're trying to tell you something and it's, there's a metaphor here. But ultimately, this fruit of this tree that's in the midst of the garden, again, a metaphor. Now, there may have been a garden, too, and there may have been a tree there, but this is, they're trying to impart an idea to you. The servant said unto the woman, You shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened. And ye shall be as God, knowing good and evil. Now, there's a certain truth in that. But there's also a deception in that. Eyes may be open, in other words, you'll see, you'll know, because you will have experienced both good and evil. So you'll know. You may know what good and evil is before, but you will know good and evil. In other words, you will experience good and evil. You will feel good and evil. I mean, to know Eve isn't just say, "Oh, this is Eve. Her name is Eve. She's you know five foot seven and eyes of blue or whatever." Uh, you know her. You recognize her. No, to know her, she ends up getting pregnant. You have to have this intimate relationship. So when they say no good and evil, they mean you're going to have an intimate relationship with good and evil. You're going to experience both good and evil because God experiences evil. He experiences it through what you do. He feels that. It'll make you sweat blood when you experience the evil of other people. But that's also how you heal people. But you you will be like God, but you won't be God. Because you won't have control. You will discover something when you begin to experience the evil of others. You do not want to experience the evil of others without God being with you. Because their evil will get into you, and you'll begin to think like them. It's it's like, you want to experience a zombie? Let them bite you. <laughs> you will have an intimate relationship with a zombie. He bites you, and you become a zombie. His zombieism gets in you. You begin to think like a zombie, and you want to go out and bite somebody else. All these guys who want to get out of the system, they aren't, they aren't healed of their zombie nature. They, they, they're they still moving out of selfishness. 
You can't be set free by a selfish act. That's why I say if you want to prepare yourself for freedom, you need to spend time preparing others for freedom. You have to start thinking about others as much as yourself. Otherwise, you're just going to be another zombie who run around doing whatever he wants. You haven't repented. You're not going to have the Holy Spirit with you, walking with you, standing between you and the enemy. Because you didn't come to serve like Christ. You came to be set free. Christ came to serve. Christ didn't come to be set free. He came to set you free by teaching you how to serve. If your congregation isn't trying to serve others, I'm not trying to convince others, serve others. By example, they will be convinced. By the Holy Spirit, they will be convinced. In order to bring the Holy Spirit in, you must sacrifice. You must come together to serve, to wash feet, to heal, to prepare others. If you don't come together with that Spirit, the Spirit of God is not going to enter into you, and you're just going to be down on the shores of the Red Sea with nothing between you and the armies of Pharaoh. You've got to change your thinking. You can't do it. So you have to let God change your thinking by doing the will of the Father. Stop the covetous practice. Start the charitable practices, which is the antithesis of covetous practices. If you're not doing that, if you're not gathering to give... If you're not gathering to forgive, you won't want to gather with saints. You want to gather with sinners. Now, I mean, within reason. Obviously, I don't want you to go down and try to start a congregation at the local bottle or, you know, the local, uh, whatever they call it, you know, drug den or, you know, maybe something even worse like at the bank. (laughs) That's a joke. Anyway. You, what you're looking for people looking for the kingdom, and and all those people are sinners. So you're going to bring sinners into your congregation. They're going to have all kinds of ideas and fixations and and paranoias, and they're going to bring baggage. You got to love them enough to help them set down some of their baggage and focus on what Christ said to focus on. You know, they they want to come with all their dogmas about hell and heaven and earth and government and 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 the Torah and their keeping of days. You don't you want that you want the principle of it. Yeah, it's fine to want to have the feast of booze or feast of Sukkot or or tabernacle or whatever or Pentecost or all these things. But if you don't have the spirit precept and understand why they were doing this you got nothing you got to do it for the right reason and you probably won't but in the doing in the challenging of one another and rebuking one another in love you may get there you will only get there though not because of what everybody else does because the spirit cometh in you And the Spirit cometh in you when you come together with humility and sacrifice and love and forgiveness 
You have to have those things. You won't. But you want to gather with people that will make you aware of when you don't. When you don't do what's right. I know of a story where somebody, you know, husband and wife have become estranged because of the fact that the, uh, the, the wife cheated on the husband. And he, he found out about it, and he was miraculously patient with the whole thing, but he just had to, it was actually getting way out of hand. And the reason this was happening was the spirit of the mother of the daughter, who was now married, was in her, was in their daughter, was visiting upon her daughter. She isn't a bad woman, but she's, she fell. You know, if her husband was a little bit more awake, maybe he could have helped her sooner. Fell because of the spirit of the mother was passed down to the next generation. You know how many spirits have been passed down to you by your parents? Now, you might have had a pretty good parent, didn't have some of the problems. I mean, I know people whose parents were drug addicts and, and violent and angry and prostituted themselves and all kinds of things. You know, I didn't have quite that. My father was a lawyer, though. But, you know, I think I had really good parents. And uh, and some of my kids surprisingly recently said they had really good parents. <laughs> I was shocked. <laughs> really? <laughs> because I don't really think of myself as a really good parent. Although, compared to others, I may be really good, but compared to God, I fall short. The point is, is that, you know, I saw one of them weeping. That's good. Tears are good. Get you down to where your heart really is at. And instead of all this head stuff, theologies and philosophies and judgments, mercy's down there where the tears are. Anyway, we'll be right back. Talk more about it. Welcome back. Uh, verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, you see, that the fact is we were not to use those trees as a source, that tree of knowledge as a source of guidance, of nourishment, uh, of, of understanding. And that uh, our understanding was to come from the Spirit because it sees more. It sees the truth, and the truth sets us free. But if we depend upon our intellectual knowledge, that tree that's in the midst of the garden, uh, you know, we may see certain things. We may know evil, but now we're dependent upon the tree of knowledge rather than the tree of life, which is another source and should be the source of our actions and guidance. But anyway, we won't get too deep into that, but maybe you can see what I'm driving at. But she saw that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. 
And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Now, there's uh, there's all kinds of metaphors in there. Naked. The Levites were naked. What does that mean? They were without authority. They needed a covering in order to allow them to act in the way that they did. In other words, they could not be your minister unless you sewed them underwear and <laughs> gave them a covering uh, because they had no authority. And the governments of the day have authority over you. They don't. It's not just made up like Larkin Rose says. It, it's the result of covenants and covenants you've made. Because oh, I, didn't under, I didn't sign any agreement. You took benefits. If you take benefits, that binds you yeah, because they don't give nothing away for free. They're not freely giving. And free, and you're not freely receiving. You're going under obligation. You're eating at the table of men who uh, whose meats are their dainties are deceitful meats. And you're supposed to put a knife to your throat if you be a man of appetite. You guys have had a great appetite. You went to public school. Larkin Rose, I'm sure, went to public school. Oh, I had to go to public school. That's right, because you were in your parents' house and you owe life to your parents. You're not a free man because you were born. You're a free man because your parents set you free. They didn't set you free. They turned you over to the government. Now, you can dishonor all those contracts and say they don't exist and say that there's no obligation, but you're just going to find yourself out on the shores of the Red Sea with nobody but yourself. Where are they preaching? Coming together in faith, hope, and charity in a voluntary society where everybody in that society loves one another. I mean, the whole story of the Lord of the Rings, these seven guys, all from these different walks and places, you know, you got elves and, and uh, uh, you know, the guy from the mountain and uh, the, the human, you know, the writer, and all these different characters uh, coming together and having to work together. That's a, That's your typical congregation. They had to learn to care about one another. They had to become a band of brothers in order to find the power that suddenly defeated the enemy and swallowed it up. You know, we're in a spiritual battle here. You're not going to win it because you're really clever or stock up a bunch of food and all that stuff. Not that that might not be a good idea. I mean, the Soviet Union, uh, they told their people to stock up, prepare for war. They told their people that. Their people are going out and buying food and stocking up. Several countries in Europe have told their people to do the same thing. Nobody in America is telling you to do that. Nobody from government is telling you to do that. I'm talking about the governments in these countries telling you to stock up, telling their people to stock up. You don't even hear that. They talk about global weather changing and everything, which could mean crop failures and food prices skyrocketing and and... You know, instead, you know, if you want to pay the government, you have to pay online now. They won't even take your check. If you send us a check, we'll send it back. Why? They want everything digital. That could disappear in a twinkling of an eye. (laughs) Meanwhile, they're they're amassing armies underground that you don't even know about. (laughs) But fear not. Follow the ways of God. You're not doing it. 
You're not gathering together to set others free. That's why Christ came to set others free. That that will draw you to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit to you. You're naked. And Adam and Eve discovered they were naked. And then they said, oh, my God, we have sinned against you. Forgive us because we have done wrong. And they said, no. And they heard the voice of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So they heard this in the cool of the day when you get quiet. You never notice how kids, they're getting sick. They're running around. they got adrenaline running in their body, and they're getting a sore throat and everything. But they don't know it. They don't know it till they lay down at night and try to be still and go to sleep. Then suddenly you hear, my throat hurts. You know, I, all of a sudden they know. They weren't listening before. (laughs) They didn't feel, they weren't aware. Because they weren't eating of the tree of life. They didn't sense what was going on. But, when they heard God's voice, did they run to God and say, Lord, we have sinned against you. We have done wrong. No. Adam and Eve, Adam and his wife, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. God, and, and amongst the trees of the garden, they hid themselves amongst the other trees of the garden. What do you do? Turn the TV on. Turn the music up. Uh, put your headphones on. Uh, go listen to Glenn Beck or or uh, somebody else on the radio. Or you know, maybe you're a Democrat and you go listen to somebody. The point is, you're not you're not going to God. Maybe you're going to Billy Graham or you know Hagee or all these other preachers or I can't even remember all the new guys that are up there that are millionaires. Because they're good to listen to, to keep you from actually hearing God in the coolness of the day. Because God's going to tell you about you. He's not going to tell you about everybody what everybody else is doing wrong. He's going to talk to you about you. And he said, I heard thy voice. You know, oh, actually, the Lord called to Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Now, God knew where he was, but he wants Adam to admit where he is. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid. We're afraid to hear from the real God. So we got all these preachers out there who tickle our ears and keep our head full of nonsense so that we don't realize we've become slaves, gone back to Egypt, rejected God, have other leaders over us. And we think, oh, if we just elect this guy, this Saul, that Saul, this Cain, that Nimrod, everything will be okay. No, it's not going to be okay. you got to repent and think a different way. And he says, I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree? Whereof I commanded thee that thou should not eat. Now, again, that's full of metaphors. Most of you aren't going to get that. But there's something he's trying to tell you. So let's see if we can get something out of this. And the man said, the woman who thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. Is that a guy who said, I screwed up, Lord. I ate of it. No. He's blaming it on God and the woman. 
You've been doing you're blaming it on the government, you're blaming it on the you know, the Illuminati, you're blaming it on, you know, the all these conspiracy guys, you know, the rich, you know, the socialist always blames the rich, the capitalists. It's all their fault. No, it's your fault. You, your fault. Now you can blame it on your parents a little bit maybe, but aren't you grown up now? When did you repent? When did you change from the ways of your parents? You're still doing the same thing. You're still blaming somebody. There's always somebody to blame. You can point fingers this way, that way. There's a million people out there to blame. I mean, people make millions and millions of dollars giving you people to blame. Writing books about giving you people to blame. I write books about the fact that it's your fault. Man, them sell like hotcakes. <laughs> Nobody wants them hotcakes. <laughs> they want to believe that the grease is syrup. Now, those of you who have heard that story know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm hearing chuckling in the background. <laughs> uh Real quick, I don't have much time here, but uh, when I was in the... Oh, I don't have any time here. But uh, when I was in the Army, there was a guy who put a, a bowl, a stainless steel bowl of of, uh, of grease out there where all the Army guys coming in to get their food could get it. And it was one of the few days we had pancakes. And he must have done this before. He put this out, and he thought it was funny. He probably got it from somebody who was the cook before him, and he's passing the tradition on. And it looked like syrup because he had it on the hot burner where he was making eggs, and we were getting eggs and pancakes. And he put a ladle in it, and he would ladle out, and he put the grease on the deal, and then he put eggs on there and fry the eggs on the the griddle, you know, to scramble them. But he scrambling the eggs, and guys got the pancakes, and then they got the eggs, and then they saw that bowl there, and they reach over and they said, "Is this syrup?" <laughs> and the guy said, "Nothing." Well, I was in the next deal handing out buns or something. I don't know what I was handing out, butter or something. And uh, I said, no, that's that's grease. And he looked at the other guy, and, he, and, he and then they poured it on his pancakes. And he wanted to believe that the grease was syrup. And the guy did this one after another. And the, and the guy with the eggs, like he never said a word. He just smiled back and looked at people. And I was telling one guy after another, that's grease. He's frying the eggs in that. That's grease. And they kept putting it on their pancakes. <laughs> and I told them, no, it's not. It's not syrup. It's grease. And they were pouring this Crisco on their pancakes with this little ladle. Oh, my. And some guys took two ladles. And I'm telling them, I'm standing right there. They speak English. That's grease. And they do, they just keep doing it, and, that, and, I'm, and my mind is going. This is a Kodak moment. This is this is important. I'm telling you, if you don't start loving one another in organized congregations bound together by ministers who are a brotherhood of charity and forgiveness, you're going to find yourself down on the shores of the Red Sea with the entire army of every New World Order in the existence of this planet coming down on you with everything they got. You don't stand a chance. I don't care what paperwork you file. 
I don't care what day you call Sabbath. You're not living according to the principles of God. The grease that people are offering you is grace. It's not syrup. It looks like syrup. It don't. It's not. It's going to be bitter in your belly and your mouth. But you're not going to know it. Do you? I, I think of all those guys who got back to, you know, the mess hall. You know, because they had to leave that building, go to another building for the mess hall, and they get back there. And they go to cut into those pancakes. And by the time they go outside and go into the other building, that that Crisco is going to start becoming a little Crisco-y. <laughs> and I couldn't stop them. Very few of them would listen to me. One after another would put that stuff on their pancakes. And I kept telling them. I kept telling them. They didn't listen because they didn't want to hear the truth. They were hidden from the presence of God. They were hidden from the presence of the truth. Their own lust and avarice was keeping them from seeing the truth. You could show them as much as you want, and they're not going to see it. Now, are you going to see it? If you want to see it, you're going to need to weep. You're going to have to admit you don't know. You have to admit that you are a sinner. Don't worry about the fact that other people are sinners. You worry about the fact that you are a sinner. And stop blaming it on the woman. Stop blaming it on the man. Stop blaming it on the Illuminati. Stop blaming it on government. Start taking responsibility. If you want your rights back, you have to take back your responsibility, not only for yourself, but for your neighbor and for the stranger in your midst. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. What is she doing? She's blaming it on somebody else. The Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all the cattle, those living beasts of the field. Above every beast of the field, upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat. These are metaphors. He didn't just invent the snake. And eat all the days of thy life, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrows, and thy conception and sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and to sh- and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam, he said, because now these again are metaphors. This is what's going to happen. What this is is the speech like Samuel gave. Yeah, you want a king, this is going to happen. It's going to take and take and take and take. We shouldn't have to rule over our wives. We should teach our wives to be ruled over by God. We should be ruled over by God ourselves. We should be, and if we were like Christ, that would be evidence of the fact that we would be, that we are being ruled over by God. But we are not like Christ because we don't come together to serve. So why do you come together to serve? You come together to serve to find out how much service you lack in you. Are you willing to be crucified with Christ? 
cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth. He's just listing off all the bad things that are going to happen in metaphor form. But if you repent and go back and say, God, it's my fault. God, I screwed up. God, I can't change myself. I can allow you to change me. I can seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all that I do with my wife, with my children, with my neighbor, and with the stranger in my midst. I can seek that kingdom, that system of God that operates by faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. I can learn to be a good shepherd and a good employee of God and a servant to the people that is my responsibility. I can learn that if you teach me God. But in order for God to teach you, you must weep. You must get down to the point where you realize you can't do it of your own power. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us. You know, this is after he made coats of skin and clothes and everything. But it's become like one of us to know good and evil. Again, these are, he's talking about principles here. Now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat of it and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden a cherubim and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. You can't come in and eat the tree of life as long as you keep eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You cannot eat of both. If you stop if you fast from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and people who go out and study and study and study and figure all this stuff out and got all this head knowledge in there, they're still eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But people who are diligent, which is actually the word, to show thyself approved, who are doing the word of God, who have a corbin that makes the word of God to effect, instead of the Corbin that makes the Word of God to none effect. In other words, they create a social welfare system, which is what the church was, with a daily ministration that operates by faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. Unless they do that, they're not going to be able to eat of the tree of life. And they won't do that unless they admit that they, of their own authority, cannot set themselves free by filling out paperwork or by saying certain magic words, or by getting baptized into some special church with a real good pastor who tickles your ears all the time. I can't set you free. Only God can set you free, because only God has the truth. I have my opinion of the truth, and I will share that with you. But... If you're not eating of the tree of life, what I have to give you will go sour in your belly. 
I am not your salvation. This holy church is not your salvation. God is your salvation. Through the mind of Christ, you can get there. But you can't get there without that repentant heart. You need to fast and admit that you need to pray and pray and admit that you need to do and and that only God will give you the power to do that which you must do. And you cannot do it without the power of God. Nothing can save you but a miracle, and the miracles come when you accept God and through Christ in your heart and in your mind. Are you coming to serve? Are you coming to set other men free? Are you coming together in the name of Christ? Are there two or more of you? Can you imagine if two people actually came together with the mind of Christ? What if ten men came together with the mind of Christ? And those ten men bound themselves together with other men through charity alone, through love alone, through hope alone, and that perfect law of liberty. This is the kingdom of God. The early church was organized into tens, hundreds, and thousands. That's what they do at Pentecost. This is the purpose of Pentecost, one of those feasts. is to come together and organize yourselves into a network of free assemblies bound together by charity. You know how much charity there is at the Feast of Pentecost? Tremendous amount of charity. Passing from congregations to ministers and from ministers to ministers to ministers. The Levites did not go home empty-handed. These taboos, the Levites did not go home empty-handed. Almost every time we have a festival, we have less after the festival. We have leftovers, but that's what we get. There's not very many people who get it yet, but we have hope they'll get it. We have hope that people will actually gather together. But they're worried about, oh, what day you have it on. You have to have it on a special day, and you have to have you know this cloth with fringe on it, and... And you have to say these Hebrew words. and No, you don't. You have to have the love of Christ. Or you're not going to be able to eat of the tree of life. And that's all there is to it. Until we meet again. Peace on your house and may God. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.